Kirsty. <laughs> for <laughs> for joining the podcast really appreciate it i have a feeling we're going to be doing a lot of talking and more podcasts together in the future so thank you again um i feel like your background is very different instrumental and can help a lot of people so i'm sure that when a lot of people hear you today or hear this podcast um it's going to go a long way in helping them in different ways, many shapes and forms. So with that, no further ado, I'll let you introduce yourself and uh, talk a little bit about like what you do. Okay. Um, so my name is Kirsty Blue. I am a life coach and I came to this, this profession after spending six years in corporate life, hating my life, hating what everything had become. And I made the small steps over like 10 years of my healing journey to kind of get to the point where I'm ready to show other people the light, show them the way and, you know, lift, lift society up one person at a time. Right. And it's, it's so, it's interesting because I've met life coaches in the past, but it's really rare that I meet a life coach that made the transition from corporate life into the life coaching world. So it's something that I definitely want to dig deeper into later because I meet so many people that either have a great job, but they're unhappy either, or have a bad job and they're unhappy. They work in the corporate world, they're making a lot of money or not, but they're so scared to make this transition into whatever feels more aligned with them in their lives. And I feel like your example is an inspiration and it makes it more apparent that this can be done it's not it doesn't have to be um this big life-changing decision that we make it seem in our heads yes you're pivoting but it doesn't have to be this big thing you know you can literally just do whatever you want to do no matter what position you're in so i'd love to talk about that more uh but before we do can we uh, take a step back and talk about how growing up was for you and where you grew up and your family dynamic. Yeah, for sure. So where did you grow up? I grew up in central Pennsylvania. So it was a farm town of like 3000 people wow. and my babysitters were Amish and Mennonite. It was a different world. It was like 30 years in the past kind of a thing. And, and growing up, what do you, what were your parents, how were your parents like, actually? Mm. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Um, and then she took kind of odd jobs at like frozen yogurt stores and she was a cashier and she, she was a barista and did flowers. Um, she was cool, very hands-on. She was the most amazing woman, amazing role model. Um, my dad was phenomenal. He was a really wonderful man. He made sure that we learned perseverance and we were strong and very, very smart. And my parents were both incredibly loving. And it's really funny looking back, like it makes sense that my love language is words of affirmation because I got a lot of that growing up. Oh, well, that's beautiful. And then, like you said, when you look back, how do you think? your family, your family dynamic 
affected you now that you're an adult and looking back and meeting other people and noticing that not everybody's family was like yours or is like yours. Because I know for me growing up, I experienced everything that you mentioned as well. And I just thought that was normal. I thought everybody, that's how everybody's family is, you know? Mm. Um, and I realized it's not. So in your opinion, how do you think that your finally, your fa I keep saying finally, your family dynamic impacted you now that you're an adult? Well, that's kind of a loaded question. So <laughs> ideally, like in the beginning when we were super young, that's how it was. Um, and like, it definitely shaped who my sister and I are as human beings. We're very honest, we're very kind and compassionate. And then as I grew up, when I was in middle school and high school, some traumatic things that had happened to me within our family had come out and things started slowly falling apart. There was this like, I call it kind of like a disease in the family where I think it's super common in a lot of families. People just stop talking to each other for one reason or another. Someone pisses somebody off or somebody gets money from an inheritance that another person thinks that they shouldn't have. That's the kind of situation that was going on there. And then when I was a senior in high school, my dad had a terrible motorcycle accident. So that like really changed the family dynamic because he had a traumatic brain injury. So that was like a turning point in my life that triggered a lot of like anxiety, a lot of distrust in just like everything in the world because things can change on a dime. But through both of those like traumatic instances and all kinds of other stuff that was going on, it just made me incredibly strong. Like I pick myself up off the floor at any moment in time and just keep trudging forward. So definitely made me strong, <laughs> solid well, foundation. <laughs> well, that's good, that's good. And I love that you touched on that because there are a lot of people who deal with traumatic incidents, either it could be outside of themselves, like what you had to deal with with your dad or internally um, as teenagers or young adults. So how did you, looking back, kind of get through that at the time? And if you didn't, and if it's something you had to work through even as you became an adult, how was that for you, dealing with that? It was really hard. Yeah. My teens were a huge struggle for me. Um, like it started in sixth grade when a big secret came out about a sexual trauma that I had faced when I was much, much younger. And that kind of threw me into a depression spiral. And then I really like, I loved somebody and they didn't want to be with me. And then that just made it even worse. So throughout this entire time, it was just tons of like tears, lost sleep, uh, learning kind of like how to communicate, but all of that was just a big struggle. Like things didn't get better for me until I graduated high school. I finally broke it off with the guy and I started to like get out of the house more. And so I kind of felt a sense of freedom and that's when I started to learn and grow. But my family kind of, my mom, my dad, and my sister were still in the household together while I was off at college. So coming back to visit them, that's how I learned how to like, 
communicate clearly, mediate situations, and how to how to diffuse arguments. Um, I was like the foundation of like me becoming an adult was learning how to communicate and diffuse. Right, right. And it's it's crazy you have to go through that at such a young age. Um, and I know it's a lot of it's something that a lot of women, I'm sure and some men also deal with as well, but when it comes to men, it's not really um looked at obviously it the same way when women go through it. Mm-hmm. So and even just doesn't matter if you're a man or woman, just as a child or as a kid, why do you think there's so much stigma around sexual trauma, especially for the person that goes through it, right? The one thing that we hear often is, well, the, the kid didn't say anything, or if it's an adult, you didn't say anything, you're, you're coming out years later. So why do you think there's, there's that apprehension there? Um, when something like that happens and what advice would you give to someone that's either knows of someone that just went through sexual trauma or is that person that just went through sexual trauma what advice would you give them to kind of like deal with it and um kind of heal from it as they go on in life so the first part of the question um So from my perspective, everybody around me had these expectations of like how I was feeling and how I was comprehending what had happened to me. And it was looked at as like, oh, it's so sad, poor you, like you're going to be okay. Life's going to get better. And I was totally fine until everybody started pushing all of that like negativity and all of those limitations onto me. So I feel strongly feel like that's what sent me through the spiral when all the information came out. Um, So I would tell anybody that's dealing with whatever trauma they're dealing with from their sexual history, like, just stay true to you. Don't let what other people say sway you. Just communicate what you feel. Like, if (laughs) I know from my experience, people were telling me, You need to talk about exactly what happened. You need to tell us in every minute detail using like the specific scientific uh, words of, you know, like terms on the body, what happened over and over and over. And it's like, you don't have to do that. You don't have to tell people your story over and over and over if you don't want to, because that is going to lead to a whole other set of complications from like just dealing with what happened. So I would tell people, if you need to retreat for a little bit, retreat. If you need to talk to somebody, talk to somebody, but don't feel forced into talking to anybody about anything. Like you'll come around in your own time. I like that. That's, that's a good answer. That's a great answer. (laughs) I I can see how, you know, being forced or feeling like you're being forced and, um, can lean to, like you said, you start internalizing everybody else's opinions and and energy and expectations. And um, uh, it's, I can see how that's not a good thing, obviously. Mm-hmm. And that could just lead to more trauma and making the situation worse. So um, that's really good advice, really good. Yeah, I was forced to talk to like nine different counselors in the span of three or four years. and 
each one of them wanted to hear the story over and over. And I was like, this is going to kill me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's no, that's 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 insane. Um, so when you're around this age, let's just say let's move into your 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 teens. Let's say you're when you're in college, no, not college in high school. Where's your mind state at this point? Do you have an idea of what you want to do in college? What is your view of the world? What are like some of the, the things that you're kind of looking forward to while you're in college? If anything. I was so sheltered growing up. Like I came to California and on vacations and I went up and down the East Coast on vacations, but I was so sheltered. I had no idea what was available in the world. Everybody would say this to me and I didn't know what it meant, but I literally thought that I knew everything. Uh, and so I had no idea what I wanted to do when I got, like when I became an adult and I read a lot of fashion magazines. So I thought, okay, I want to get involved in fashion. Like I'm going to go to New York. This is going to be the thing. Um, that didn't happen. <laughs> My mom was like, no, you're not doing that. You're not going to make money. So I ended up choosing accounting specifically because I liked the teacher in high school who was teaching that to me. So yeah, it was a very weird stage of life. People were like denying my reality of what I wanted to do. And I felt very much like an outsider because I had this big secret that nobody knew, but it was such a big thing in my own personal life that like it made me ostracize myself. And it was a, my graduating class was 165 people. So it was a small school. And those are the same people that I had gone to kindergarten with. My goodness. Yeah. And from kindergarten, I got the sense that people didn't like me. And that just kept happening year after year after year. So by the time I was in high school, I was like, okay, head down, like, just get the hell out of here. Well, I didn't know. (laughs) You didn't mention that you grew up in a small town, but I didn't know it was that small. It was super small. It's the kind of place where, like, you're aunts, uncles, mom, dad, grandparents all grew up there. They knew the teachers, like everybody is a really well-knit community. And my parents were both from outside of the town. So that made us even more like outsiders. Yeah. Yeah. And so what would you, what would you say are some of the pros and cons of growing up in an environment like that, where it's not New York city, obviously it's not Los Angeles. It's not you know, a big city town. Um, how did that impact you? I impact you in a in a positive way or in a negative way when you look at it. Definitely. So, in a positive way, like it made me a really kind, honest, down to earth person. Um, so that's definitely positive. On the negative side, well, thankfully I got out, but while I was there, it was just extremely small-minded attitudes, which is great for those people, but for other people like me who needed something different, um, it felt like I was a trapped animal, like living in this weird universe that I didn't fit into. Mm. No, that makes sense. And, and did you, do you have any siblings or? Did mm-hmm. you have- yeah, okay. I have a younger sister. She's uh, five years younger. Five years younger. Okay. Okay. <laughs> And all right, so we're in high school. We're not sure what we want to do. Um, you start taking a liking to accounting because of, like the teacher, the way the teacher teaches it. Uh, so what, what did you do in college? So in college, uh, I, I just went accounting full force. 
And that was what I did. But college was the most incredible time of my life for so many reasons. Like I did a little bit of partying, but mostly it was like the transformation. Mm. So just to set the scene, like it was a small university. It was 2000 people, no graduate program, just all undergrad. 20 minutes away from my home. So it was in the town of our biggest rivals from my high school. And that entire area is very um, conservative, except for the college. It was extremely liberal. So I got this crazy like juxtaposition from home to school where I got to learn all these super different perspectives at like polar opposites on the spectrum. Um, so that just like blew my mind. I absolutely loved it. And I got my first internship as a freshman. Like I hit the ground running when I got to college because I wanted to make moves in the world. So I got an internship. My first couple months, like professors had me um, speaking to prospective students. I was eventually a tutor and like accounting club president and all of this cool stuff. And it, that was the first time I was a coach. So yeah. college was amazing. I did yeah. three study abroad programs. Like, oh, wow rocked it all right well so now we have to talk about that where did you go for your study abroad programs my first one was in sevilla spain i went for my spanish minor but i don't really retain any of my spanish yeah. language <laughs> then i did an entire semester in london which was amazing that was like the big party period there was like 27 of us um, who went from the business school together and so we would party like Wednesday through Sunday and then you know it was the kind of situation where the professor would walk into the room and be like you guys smell awful oh wow and we were just all like hung over from the night before that was interesting it was that extreme huh <laughs> yeah it was a lot that's when I realized I had like I needed to cut off from drinking after yeah. that trip and then, uh, so I came home from London for like a month and then I turned around and went to Australia. Mm -hmm. So I was in Melbourne, coolest city ever, super hipster, super like hidden. You have to know somebody to be able to fully experience the city. Of course, of course. And how long were you out there for? That was eight weeks. Eight weeks, okay, two months, all right. And then uh, what, how, would, how do you think those experiences affected you or added to who you are as a person. It just, it just made me so thirsty for life. So excited about new experiences. And it's funny because at the beginning when I went to college, I was telling all the prospective students how important it was to push yourself outside of your comfort zone and get out of your bubble. And then when I went abroad, those three different times, I was like, oh, wow, this, this really is amazing. I'm not just like preaching it for nothing. So um, yeah, it not only like it showed me what other people live like. Because when I was in Spain, I lived with a host family. Um, it exposed me to other foods, other ways of like communication through like not just body language, but also, um, you know, like spoken word. So like I went to the Czech Republic, I went to Bahrain, like I went to Ireland, just so many different places that, you know, this small town girl, my mind was blown every day. It was amazing. No, that's no, that's that's good. That's good. I'm glad that you didn't feel, for lack of a better term, repulsed by the sensory um, overload of information, especially when you think about where you grew up. I always tell people traveling 
it's almost impossible for traveling not to change you. And I remember when I first started traveling and I was thinking to myself, wait, this, this can be life. This can be everyday life, you know? And it really opened to my eyes to the fact that here we live in a bubble in, in America, we're sheltered. And uh, there's so much more out there to the world than we can even fathom. Oh, true. Not only that, before I started traveling, I always thought, well, everywhere is like America, right? You have this false sense of, of idea of how the world is because this is all you know. So you think almost everywhere is like the States and it's not, it's really not. Right. So uh, in addition to being fun and amazing, traveling also taught me like gratitude for America because no matter where I go, no matter how much fun I have, it's just something about landing back in the States. It's usually LA for the international flights, smelling that dirty air and just like, I hate this smell, but I'm so glad to be back here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, traveling, traveling is amazing. Traveling is amazing. Yeah. Uh, before we was... go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, um, so like when I started traveling outside of the country was when I realized that we really are taught to think that the United States is the whole world. A hundred percent. So what, let's, I'm sure there are people listening that are going to listen to this and say, I really want to travel. I really want to do this. I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I'm too busy with work. I have kids, whatever excuse that we always come up with. What would you just, what would you say to those people? Mm, I would say try couch surfing that website for like couch surfing dot org or dot com or something I don't know so at to explain it at my university we had a um, requirement to have what was called a cross-cultural experience before we graduated and so for the majority of us that meant if we had the means we would travel internationally but for a lot of people if they didn't have the means or they didn't want to leave the country they could have a cross-cultural experience within the United States so for my best friend she went to a Native American uh, reservation and stayed with a host family there for a couple weeks. And she got to have the same sort of experience, right? Because it's cross-cultural. So I would definitely say like Airbnb is what makes that cool if you stay with like a super host or like the couch surfing thing is free. Just going to somewhere completely different from where you are and talking to the locals, you can get the same sort of experience. No, that's good. No, that's just true. That's true. So um yeah there's there's always a reason not to do something I always tell people so if you want to travel just just do it mm-hmm. do it find the time save up money find people that share your aspirations uh, for world travel and just do it that's what I always say because so many people make excuses about why they can't travel and and um again we can always we can all make excuses at all times right yeah uh, get in the car and drive two hours in the opposite direction from where you usually go. Like it's probably going to give you that sort of experience. No, I agree. I agree. Um, (laughs) So you come back from your, uh, from your programs. And at this point, let's just say towards the end of your graduation, or even let's just even say after your graduation, at the time, did you intend to make uh, accounting your career, like, what was your mind state? Were you just like, I'm gonna do this for the next 30, 40 years, I'm gonna make money, 
I'm going to travel the world. What were you, what was Kirsty thinking um, around this time, or oh, at least the intention? It's it's really funny that you asked that because um, I think it was my senior, it was my junior or senior year of school. I had to take an ethics course, and as part of that course, we had to write like essentially the script for your plan for the rest of your life. And so what I wrote was like, I broke it into two sections, the working and then the like philanthropist life. So I was going to work in accounting for X number of years, save up money, and then like essentially retire. And then um, I saw, I saw a play on human sex trafficking. And I had an emotional breakdown for like an entire week one of my professors actually had to drag me out of the theater and like take me back to her house and, and talk me through it all. Um, and at that point I realized like, okay, I'm four and a half years through my accounting degree. So I can't change now. I just have to keep moving forward with accounting but I'm gonna get out as soon as I can. So yeah, then um, in the accounting world you usually get your job an entire year before you graduate. So I had my job. And then um, I loved it for like two years. And uh, that's when it started spiraling <laughs> from there. Yeah. And what would you say was the cause of the spiral? Like looking back now. Oh. Was it a, was it, was it a combination of things? Was it an experience you had? Was it um, a realization? A conversation that kind of triggered you. What was it? Burnout in the you know in the corporate world. Burnout is ultimately what made me leave. So that, but I was burnt out for like a year to two years before I actually left. So um, two years in, I started to not like accounting as much because in in the accounting world, you have this ladder of like, you spend two years as an associate, then you get promoted to senior and you spend three years, then manager, partner, whatever. Um, so I was coming up on the promotion for becoming a senior. And that's when you really start to take on responsibility for a job. You have a team under you, you get a big raise, you know, the you're starting to live the dream of the corporate life. And it came to the point where I was talking to one of the partners and he's like, do you want this promotion? And I had been looking around at all the seniors around me and I was like, they're all miserable. They don't sleep, they don't work out, they don't eat healthy, they don't get time with their significant others. Like, actually, no, I don't want this. But I'm, I've always been a high performer. So it was starting to be pushed on me earlier than the rest of the group. So like I got to experience it a little bit without the official title. And then after I got the title, I. I don't even think I made it a year. I was like, yeah, I'm done. Wow. That's, I, I love the fact that you just made the statement about how you looked around, they wanted to promote you. You looked around and said, everybody here that's senior leadership is miserable. They're not happy. They're burnt out. All they, do, all they do is work. And I was thinking about that the other day, how we live in a societal construct or in a, in a society where there's no room for emotional or mental health. Like mm -hmm. that's not taught, right? The idea is, I mean, we're pretty much born into a world that's already preset, right? So yeah. we already have this, this path, this blueprint that's laid out for us. And it's, oh, you're gonna go to kindergarten and you're gonna go to middle school and then you're gonna go to college. No, sorry, high school. And you go to college 
and then you're going to graduate and then meet your significant other and then get a job and then have kids mm-hmm. and then you're going to work for the rest of your life and if you're lucky at 50 or 60 you retire and be tired and miserable from working your entire life and a few years later you die and then after that what happens nothing nothing happens that's that's just it right life doesn't have to be that way you know if if we have let's say a, if you're driving a nice car and it doesn't need anything there's no issues you're still going to take it for an oil change eventually right mm-hmm. and that's how i kind of see our lives like we need oil changes and we never think about that no matter how happy you are obviously if you're unhappy and sad or depressed you definitely need to talk to someone but no matter what stage of life you're in like we all need all changes we need to be taking care of ourselves working out making sure we have great mental health making sure we surround ourselves with the right people casually checking in even if you don't feel like you need one i feel like we can all use a therapist or a life coach but even if you feel like you don't need one just casually talking to someone getting a life coach for a few weeks or a few months getting a therapist for a few weeks, for a few months. If you have insurance, which most people do, you can get a therapist for free, you know? Um, And you can invest in yourself by getting a life coach. So these are all things that we don't think about that are necessary when it comes to life. Mm -hmm. You can literally create the life that you want, like you're doing, right? Exactly. Um, So no, I just love that you touched on that because it's something I was thinking about earlier or a few days ago how almost everybody is just living life based on what's being preset. And it's only a select few people like you or myself that are actually living life according to what feels more aligned with them. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned like, you know, you work your whole life and then if you're lucky, you're, you'll retire. And it's like, at that point, that's when you're supposed to have fun and enjoy life. Like right. what? You're you haven't taken care of your body so you can't really move so you can't explore cities on foot like what do you mean that's when you get to enjoy yourself for the last quarter of your life right no i I agree i agree (laughs) that that way of thinking it's it's so defective and we continue to just follow this path and i think things might change in the future i think things are changing a little bit especially because the pandemic people seem to be more People seem to be standing in their power more and saying, no, I'm not going to take that job. It's still low paying. No, I'm not going to drive to work every day because I don't have to. I can still get the job done at home. Uh, so there are things are changing a little bit. I saw on LinkedIn today that the um, conversation of a four day work week is trending again. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. It really is. Uh, so I'm excited for the future. Um, but OK, so back to this time in your life, you you look around. You're, dis- you're disgusted with what you see and mm. <laughs> how miserable people are. And at this point, you're thinking, okay, maybe this might not be the life I thought I wanted. So how do you transition out of, uh, what steps did you take to, to start transitioning out of the corporate life? Uh, and were you scared? Oh my God, I was terrified. I had, okay, I look at my first corporate job as, a toxic relationship where it's, I'm, I was conditioned to think 
like they need me they need me i need to be there things are going to fall apart if i'm not working there everything's going to like implode if i don't check you know this email if i don't do this one more thing before i go home um and it got to the point where i started to get sick regularly like i would get strep throat which i hadn't had for years and i would just be overly exhausted and like towards the end of it, I ended up going to urgent care because I just didn't know what was going on. And they didn't say a thing. They just put me on, on an IV. And like, that's as bad as that got. But um, so for a year, I had been telling myself, like, this isn't the right place. I need to move on. But I was terrified. Mm. Um, and so at that point, I really heavily leaned on my mentors. And funny enough, I had been, this is like three going to four years in on my first job. So I had known my kickboxing partner for two years at that time. My kickboxing partner was my first life coach. He's an executive coach. So he had been telling me already for two years, you should really leave accounting because I think you'd be great at coaching. I think you'd be much happier elsewhere. You deserve so much more. So having that in my ear and then finally leaning on a mentor, I was able to like make the jump, but it got to the point where I had to be scared out of my like scared shitless in urgent care with an IV hooked up to me, which had never happened at that point. Wow. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate that it almost had to get to that point. Well, it didn't almost, it did get to that point, Yeah. you know, and, uh, that your story is so relatable because there's so many people who get to have to get to the point of burnout to realize that something is not right. Mm -hmm. And even at that point, they still don't really make any changes, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of it is fear. Like you said, you were fearful and I think one of the most instrumental aspects of standing in your power is realizing that fear is just an illusion. It sounds cool to say, but it really is. Um, and everybody's fearful for different reasons, right? They might, their thing might be, well, I have kids. I can't just take that plunge. Mm -hmm. um, or I have somebody I have to support or I have bills or whatever the issue is. And I always try to remind people that you have your life to live. You know, you're not here to live for your bills. You're not here right. as harsh as this might sound. You're not necessarily even here to live for your kids, right? Your kids are just an extension of you. And the happier you are, the better parent you're going to be to your kids. Yes. You know? Oh, yes. <laughs> um, so this is, these are things that we don't really think about. We, we think of like, oh, we're sacrificing for our kids. But you have to remember you don't, they're not asking you to sacrifice for them. You need to put yourself in a position where you're at your best. Mm -hmm. That includes being happy. Mm -hmm. If that's physical health or mental health or emotional health or financial health, whatever that means to you, you being at your best is going to raise the best, is going to raise the best kids possible and is going to make the best example for them possible. So mm -hmm. I don't really believe in, I mean, a lot of us have excuses and a lot of times they're legit excuses, but that's what they are excuses. Mm -hmm. And there's always a, a way around it, right? 
So I, I love that you pointed that out because I just wanted to also say it's something a lot of us can relate to. Um, and just you taking that jump is, is uh, a great example of how it doesn't have to be, you don't have to settle for this life that you feel stuck in, which a lot of people do. Yeah, or not even stuck. Like I'll, I hear from a surprising number of people that, oh, it's just like, I know everything that I'm doing and I like knowing things. So like, I'm gonna stay, it's cool. But then I come back at them with like, oh, you don't like a challenge because you liked a challenge when I knew you in college, like, you know, six, seven years ago, you loved like, you know, like trying to solve problems and figure things out. So you were telling me you wanna just stay comfortable but miserable. And you're happy with that? Ugh, it's crazy. A lot of times people can't even describe whatever the fear is either. No, no, you're right. You're right. It's, it's a lot of times it's actually has to do with the apprehension comes from a feeling of safety too, mm. you know, and uh, a lot of times we feel safe. Like it doesn't matter. Like you said earlier, you brought up the idea of a toxic relationship as crazy as, as it sounds you can be in a toxic toxic relationship and also feel safe. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, another one is complacency. You know, you get, I, I feel like complacency is a disease. Like you get used oh. to being in a certain circumstance and it every, every other decision outside of that circumstance you're in feels like you're walking into the unknown. Mm. You know? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with walking into the unknown. You know, you didn't right. come, you didn't, you didn't, the way I like to see it, like, I'm not going to live life while sitting on the bench. Like, if you get off the, like, I'm using a sports analogy. If you get off the bench and go play in a game, a lot of things can happen. You can do something embarrassing. You can um, lose the game for the team. Just, you can get injured. There's so many things that can happen. But life is so short that there's really no point of sitting on a bench. And that's what a lot of us do when we feel fear, when we feel apprehension, when we feel complacency, when we're living in a toxic situation that we're refusing to get ourselves out of for whatever reason. Um, it's, it's tantamount to just being in the game and just sitting on a bench and saying, all right, well, I'm gonna play life from the bench and I feel safe here. Nothing's gonna happen to me. If mm -hmm. we lose, we're not gonna get blamed. Um, and to me, there's just no point of living life that way. Right. It's really a mindset thing because a lot of, a lot of people's reasons, a lot of what you mentioned is like all the negative possibilities, but like, where's the positive possibilities? It could be the best thing you've ever done in your entire life. And like, you're just gonna, eh, whatever. No, oh, it blows my mind. It's true, it's true. <laughs> and, and the thing is, even just to add to what you just said, even if you end up quote unquote failing, you're living life and you're not gonna look at it as a failure because if you had to make that decision again, if you're 25 or 35, whatever age you are, and you make a life-changing decision that you feel you're gonna be happier with, and it doesn't necessarily pan out the way you want. I've met a lot of people that have been in those situations and it's really rare that they regret it. They're sure. glad they made their decision. Uh, my brother, he's a therapist. And he was telling me that a lot of the older folks that he um, sees, his clients, 
they all have one thing in common and it's all always regrets oh, and it's so depressing that. it's so sad he was like almost every single older client he sees one of the reasons for their depression or seeing him is they just have a life of regrets like i wish i'd gotten divorced when i knew things weren't working out and i stayed for another 30 years i wish i left that job I wasn't happy with 25 years ago to pursue my my business. Um, I wish I did this. I wish I did that. I wish I traveled. I wish, I wish, I wish. And it's scary. It's sad. It's depressing. But this is, I'd say, at least 90% of the population. You know, that could have been you. That could have been, that could have been Christy, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now saying, I stayed in the accounting world, stayed in the corporate world. I made a bunch of money, but I lived a life of being unhappy. And I wish I decided to be a life coach when I thought about it, you know? Um, so again, there's, there's so much life to be lived. And I, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the podcast is because I truly saw your, the bravery in your decision to walk away from the corporate world into a life of independence. It doesn't even matter if you walk away from the corporate world into a different job or whatever it is, just having that bravery to, to stand in your power and not be fearful of the unknown. Because when you make, made that decision, that's what we're walking into. We're walking into darkness, the unknown. And I think it's, a, it's something that we all need to be doing more often. Thank you. Thank, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. no, no, no worries. No worries. Um, it's all about inspiring other people and people are going to hear this, hear your story, hear our conversation and be inspired. Um, sure. So, so yeah. Oh. I just want to mention, like, I see regret in adults as the biggest tragedy of life, like the human experience. And when you said the biggest thing is regret, I had a whole body response, my entire body got covered in like goosebumps and I just felt like oh this is not good it's the thing that really changed my mind and solidified my decision to leave my first corporate job I was talking to one of the partners at the company who had told me that he had looked for years for another job he wanted to leave he wanted to do something else he didn't really love what he was doing and he never left. And eventually he became a partner. And when he told me that, I was like, wait, so you didn't even want the life that you have right now. And he's like, yeah, but it's okay. So I'm happy. And it's, oh, it killed me in that moment. I was like, that is terrifying to end up, albeit he ended up with something very great and privileged. And he's very like fortunate financially now, but it's, it wasn't something that like lit a fire in his soul. Oh, yeah. So sad. yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't have regrets, people. No you know, regrets. Happens to a lot of people, unfortunately. Um, so you walk away from the corporate world finally, and you start your life coaching business. Um, what was your intention, at least at the time, when you first started your life coaching business? In what ways did you? want to help people or what holes did you see what opportunities did you see to to kind of come in and make a difference in people's lives 
Well, ultimately on like a very broad level, I wanted to teach people the tools to be able to live the most authentic life that they could. And then they in turn will take those tools and share them with their family, friends, and peers. And that will be my ripple effect on changing the world. I see. I see. So that was like the sure. initial goal. <laughs> well, that makes sense. That makes sense. And then once you started being a, a life coach, what would you say are some of the things that or patterns you started seeing in some of your clients that we all kind of deal with or have dealt with or will deal with at some point in life? A big one is the inability to articulate what they want. So I realized like from the time we come out of the womb, we're being told by other people what is best for us, what we should do, what we should eat, what we should consume. Like, like we never really get the chance to forge our own path. And so that's kind of what I create in my coaching sessions is just the space to explore what you want and talk about it without shame. Hmm. So that's like a big one. Um, another big one I think that goes along with that um, very clearly is miscommunication. Like people are not communicating with each other. They're not saying verbatim what they feel or what they think. They're spending so much time trying to like worry about and control other people's reactions. So hmm. yeah, ultimately I tell people like the way that somebody reacts to you when you say something has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with them and their own life experience. So you, you just need to be proud of the fact that you were able to express yourself. Um, I think another big one is like being stuck in a job, whether it be a corporate job or, you know, whatever, just because you think it's the right thing or somebody else thinks it's the right thing. And then living your own life within the confines of like eight to five or eight to nine or whatever it is, like figuring out your own cycle. Right. Mm. The web just keeps growing. It's like everything is so interconnected. The word holistic is kind of in everything that I talk about because it takes a holistic approach to live like your optimal life. No, yeah, no, you're right. I, I love two things that you said. The first was shame. I want to dig deeper on that. And the second was control. And a big segment of the world, this has nothing to do with America, the world in general, has a false ideology, in my opinion, of what it means to be in a relationship or a marriage. We fall into this insane belief that you magically own your partner once you get into a relationship with them. Things are always fine when you seem to be friends or dating or whatever it is. But the second things become official or you get married, you think you own your wife or you think you own your husband or you, your girlfriend or your boyfriend. And I think more people need to be more aware that one of the healthiest ways to be in a relationship is giving your partner the freedom they need to be themselves, obviously with boundaries, but nobody wants to feel owned. Nobody wants to feel controlled. Nobody wants to feel suffocated. And a big part of relationships is people getting to that point eventually. And it's either the man doing the suffocating or the woman doing the suffocating 
where are you? Where have you been? It's been whatever things people say and come up with. Um, it's a pattern I've been seeing for a long time and a lot of partnerships. And I kind of wanted you to just to speak on that and, and get your opinion on that. And uh, what advice you would give to someone that finds themselves in that situation. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I don't even know where to start on this. It's been such a big topic as well. I just, you talk to so many people who are unhappy in their relationship or their marriage for whatever reasons. And ultimately to sum it up, like before you commit to any sort of relationship, talk, like talk through all of the things, parenting styles, financials, your trauma, like you have to tell your partners the stuff that has formed who you are. That's a big one because that will help you uncover like what your partner needs and what you need. And then maybe at that point, you won't even be able to like support each other in those ways. Ah, so I don't know, help me <laughs> out. Where, where should I start here? So you just said another thing that I wanted to touch on, <laughs> um, which is being really open with your partner. And it goes back to communication because um, it's, but it's just, it's tricky for me because I do agree with what you just said, being open, but it's tricky because you can be with someone that you really care about and you're an amazing person. They're an amazing person and uh, you really want to be with them, but you have this past, this trauma that you dealt with at whatever point, whatever it was, you don't feel ready to, to share that. And you know, time starts ticking, like, oh, I'll, I'll tell them once we get together, once we make things official and things become official, you don't feel ready or you feel fear that being open with them is going to drive, drive them away. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how do you balance that? Because earlier you did mention that you need to live or make decisions, especially if you've been through trauma, based on how you feel when you're ready, right? Don't let anybody force you to commit or say anything before you're ready to, 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 to talk about it. So how do you kind of balance that ideology? And when I say you, I'm not referring to you, but just in general, as a person, how do you balance trying to come forward when you're ready, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's to the police, whether, whatever, but in this, in this question, it's more about a relationship setting. Mm -hmm. So how do you balance trying to wait until you're ready with, oh my gosh, the time is ticking. It's been several months and this person has no idea about this big thing that affected me and had to do with who I am today. That's a really great question. So. And we'll come back to the last one actually, cause I don't think I, you've even answered that one yet. Yeah. Um, all right. So I wholeheartedly believe and still stand by like, come forward when you're ready. Talk about things when you are ready. Don't feel pressure to do it beforehand. But I think we each have a responsibility to be aware of our emotions and aware of like what could be triggering those emotions, both consciously and unconsciously, and being able to express that, like you said, communication. Like when your partner does something that makes you feel a certain kind of way and you start to pull away from them or you just need time alone, you need to be able to say to your partner, hey, this is what I'm feeling. I'm feeling like I need alone time to process. I'm feeling like I need um, 
more support from you in like these sort of ways. Like I need more physical touch, that kind of thing to make me feel more comfortable. Being able to express that to your partner is going to make your relationship stronger because they're going to know how to meet your needs. And then when your needs are met, you're going to feel so much more connected to them. And it's just like this circle that keeps on growing, like a gift that keeps on giving back is when you can communicate clearly with your partner. Yeah, no, good answer. Good answer. Um, now back to the last one. Okay. <laughs> and we were talking about control, right? Where I was asking about this ideology when you're with someone, you feel like, you know, they're yours, they belong to you, they're your property. Mm -hmm. So how do you kind of maneuver around that from a life coach talking to a client? Or just it could it just be your friends or family or just life advice in general? What's your opinion on navigating that? Yeah. I, this is a pattern, actually, this thing, this idea of control, I noticed this when I was like 17. And at that point, I, for a little bit, I just like got rid of all labels in my life. I was like, I don't want any label to define me. Because like you said, once you slap on relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, like, the dynamic in your head completely changes. Um, and so if control I feel comes from insecurity. And it's not necessarily an insecurity in the relationship. It's an insecurity with yourself for whatever reason. It could be different for everybody. But if your partner wants to go out at night with their friends and you don't want to let them because you're afraid that they're going to meet somebody that's more interesting than you or more attractive than you or more financially stable than you, whatever it is, and that becomes your reason for not letting your partner go live their own authentic life. Like you need to be able to deal with that. So I think both, both people in a relationship control each other at some point in time for different reasons. And you need to be able to recognize and understand that within yourself and then use that information to actually make a change, not just be like, oh, so that means I'm insecure because I feel like I should be like, more physically fit so then use that information to go do some cardio or eat better you know it's like you have to you have to analyze the situation without your emotions evolved and then use that information to make a sustainable change no that's that's well said that's well said it's it's funny because everything you just said actually also bleeds into communication and for some reason Communication seems to be like rocket science to, to, to everybody. Um, I'm, I'm guilty of it too in the past. Um, we all have such a hard time just saying how we feel, mm -hmm. you know, for whatever reason. Um, could be you're dating somebody and you no longer want to see them and you just disappear. No text, no call, no, no, this isn't going to work. I wish you the best. Like just disappear. Or, you know, the one that we've, we've all done at some point, you're upset about something and you don't say anything, you just hold it in. And it builds and builds and builds until it just explodes and you just lose it, right? It could be even communicating as with a, in a parent-child dynamic, right? You're, you're talking down to your kids instead of talking to your kids. Oh, yeah. Um, 
there's just so many forms on different ways that we constantly ignore the importance of communication or either we don't ignore it, or we're just not good at it. So how do you navigate that as well in a relationship as a, a parent or just in life in general? What are some of the tools that you usually like to recommend or that you've seen in your personal life um, that that's worked for you? So in terms of why we tend to hold back our communication, I think that a lot of it stems from our expectations and our assumptions. Mm. So we're making an assumption or we're making an expectation that if we tell somebody something like, this is what I want from you in a relationship, that they're going to have a certain sort of reaction. And we just assume that based on their, our past encounters with them or based on other factors that we know about them, but we're not really giving them the opportunity to show that they're an evolved human being and can make a different choice in every instance. So I think it comes like as a human being, you have a lot of responsibility to be able to recognize your assumptions that you're making about other, other people and circumstances. Um, and then yes, with expectations, that's like being able to articulate what you want and not expecting certain outcomes because life is a whole bunch of like random chances. So you have no idea what's gonna happen. In terms of getting a handle on it, Personally, journaling has worked a lot and not just journaling, but like writing letters, especially mm. during breakups, always writing letters. And is it letters to the person or to yourself? Um, both actually. So whatever you're feeling in that moment, like certainly write that out. If you want to write a hate letter to your ex, like that's <laughs> totally healthy. Just maybe don't give them the letter. Um, but then on the other hand, like if you write a letter to, you know, like fresh off a breakup to express how you're feeling, and then you come back to it two weeks later and it's still applicable, then yeah, sure. Like send it out if you feel the need to express yourself, but also writing letters to yourself, like your past self, your future self, your current self, something to read every morning or some, something to read 10 years, two years later, whatever. I think that's super healthy. And then the journaling, I used to look at journaling as a huge time suck, like a big chore. But a journal could be as easy as like one sentence. Today, I hate X. Today, I am loving X. You know, like it can be something super simple. Just write it down on paper because there's something so therapeutic about writing and seeing things in word form. There's also the option of video diaries which I did a lot last year. So there's all kinds of tools and resources out there. Yeah, there is, there is. And you said something about expectations, right? Mm -hmm. And I fully agree with that because I read this quote a long time ago and the quote said, one of the biggest causes of suffering in life is because of attachment. And at the time, I didn't really understand that. Wait, one of the biggest causes of suffering is attachment. How does attachment make you suffer? And as an adult, I understood it. 
And I also like to think that one of the biggest causing of causes of suffering is attachment to expectations. Yeah. We uh, attach ourselves to these things or expectations that we perceive or like need to happen, right? We, we have expectations about how we think our life should be, right? That's why, why when things don't go the right, the right way or the way that you want them to go, they call it what a midlife crisis to start thinking about like, wait, I, at 32, at 40 or whatever it is, I, things were supposed to be a certain way and they're not. Mm-hmm. We have attachments or expectations about our relationships, about how our kids should behave, about how our parents should behave, about how the boss, the, your boss should treat you. Um, I'm sure obviously you had expectations about how things were supposed to be when you decided to go into the corporate world, right? And those expectations weren't met. But the issue is when we get to the point of realizing that, okay, my expectations are not what I thought they were going to be, but we still keep moving in that direction Mm. because of the safety and complacency that we talked about earlier. It's like, well, things aren't the way they're supposed to be, but at least I feel safe. You know, at least I don't have to start a new relationship over. At least I don't have to find a new job. You know, um, there's so many different ways that we constantly find ourselves in positions where our expectations are not being met, but yet we continue in that direction. And I think that's one of also one of the biggest issues that we as people go through that we need to be more mindful of is when something is not serving you, you need to walk away and it doesn't have to be this drawn out process of you walking away. It doesn't have to be. Uh, my brother, again, like I said earlier, he's a therapist. He, I love, I'm going to give him credit because he's the one that told me this a while ago. He said, one of the biggest issues in relationships or in life in general is there's a certain point that people know that things are over. Let's just use relationships, for example. On average, I think I think studies have actually been done on this. On average, I think that average person knows either a couple of months or like a year or two before the relationship actually ends, they know it's already over. Mm-hmm. So which means you're wasting six to 12 to 18 to 24 months of your life just swimming in the waters that you know you're going to get out of eventually. And I think it's something that we're all, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but I'm sure I've been in situations where I knew, I can remember a time where I was with someone and they did something or something happened. I just knew in that moment, yeah, it's it's over. And it's a sad realization, but did I... And it right when I realized it was over, no, it still kept going for weeks or months or whatever it was. So I think that I really love the expectation uh, uh, words you used and that's what made me remember. But I think that another thing we need to start doing is when we find ourselves in situations where we realize our ex- expectations either are not being met or are not gonna be met, we need to make a decision at that point to cut off ties, whether it's ties to people, whatever it's ties to 
more expectations that we had, whatever it is, I think we need to be um, more steadfast in, in making those decisions. For sure. Oh, what a bit. Let's talk about that. My gosh. I mean, because we, we can even, let's even use you for an example, as an example. So at what point did you realize that the corporate world, what, what, how much time went by between you realizing that this is just not going to work for me? Like this life I'm living right now, I'm not happy as I know I could be. So what point did you realize that to actually becoming a life coach? Because I can guarantee you it wasn't, it was a t amount of time went by. I'm it assuming. like three years. There you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's what I was trying to make. What's that? And that was the point I was trying to make. Yeah. In, in the corporate life, it was three years. I can think of two relationships off the top of my head where in each one of those, I wanted to break up with the other person for a whole year before it actually happened. Like that's five years of wasted time we're talking about. Yeah. That's a hard one. It is. It is. And it's something that we're not aware of. We just do unwittingly, yeah. you know, and it's all about awareness, just creating that awareness. And it's almost like learning something because when you start learning awareness in your life, it trickles into your entire life, right? You start being aware of your thoughts. You start being aware of you, how your actions impact people. You start being more aware of people's words, your words to yourself, your words to others. You start being aware of everything. Yeah. So for me, I always try to just preach awareness. Be, try to be more aware of your own thoughts. Try to observe. Um, be more aware of how you're feeling. Be more aware of how the people you spend your time with make you feel. Mm -hmm. You're noticing that every time this one friend calls you, you're like, fuck, not them again. You know, <laughs> even if it happens for a split second subconsciously, that's telling you something. And we can all relate to that. There's all people, there's, I mean, I know I can, because there are times where somebody calls, I don't necessarily hate them or not want to talk to them, but I'm just like, oh, not right now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We all, we've all been in those situations. And it's really important to be aware of those feelings and thoughts. You know? For sure. Yeah. So there actually you made me think of two things that I want to mention about that. The first one is like, knowing when to cut your losses right because from that moment you know everything's just going to go downhill uh, i like that so, no one yeah. losses it's a constant like realization of the more time that i spend with this person or doing this job or whatever the more unhappy i'm going to be the more toxic it's going to become the more i'm going to be affecting everybody else around me so yeah being it's it's being aware of what every decision what what the ramifications are of every decision that you make right i really love that that knowing when to cut your losses because from my experience there's a very thin line between quote unquote knowing when to cut your losses or walk away versus giving up it's a very very thin line yeah and for people who are thinking well how do i know the difference between me feeling like i'm giving up versus making a, an executive decision that's best for me to walk away or to pivot, I say, listen to your intuition. Yeah. Your intuition is not gonna lead you astray. You know, If you're in a relationship and you're feeling like 
it's not working out and you feel like there's hope, there's going to be a genuine feeling in you that feels like, okay, this isn't over. This, my feelings and decision to stay in this relationship is coming from a healthy place, not a toxic place, like you said earlier. So your intuition is always going to lead you in the right direction. Listen to your intuition. What, what do you feel? What do you, what do you sense for the future? Do you feel a sense of dread? Do you feel a sense of hope? Usually those two things are, are usually the guiding factors, at least for me, right? If it's a job, it's like, if you stay in this job and keep working here, do you feel a genuine sense of hope for the future that the way you feel might change? Or do you feel a sense of, yeah, nothing's going to change? Is it a sense of dread instead? Um, so for me, I think those two, those two guides are kind of the ways. And like I said earlier, just listening to your intuition always, always, always helps. Yeah. Oh, I love intuition. I love intuition. Yeah. But I, I was talking to somebody recently and they said, what is intuition? What is that? And so I realized that we don't teach it ever. We don't talk about it ever as a society, except for like a women's shaving commercial. Right. <laughs> but the, the intuition inside your body is like the guiding voice. It's the way your body feels about something. It's the way like your senses light up in certain areas if you're excited or you're scared or you you just don't have a good feeling about going down a dark alley that's that's the intuition yeah no it's true that's true and i'm just curious do you for women that list they're going to see this or listen to this and say i specifically want a female life coach um Kirsty is speaking to me. I love everything she's saying. Do you notice or how do you kind of go about coaching um, women when it comes to like their feminine, teaching them to embrace their feminine energy, to teaching them to embrace their women's intuition, uh, teaching them to stand in their power and be strong, regardless of their, you know, if they're in a, in a bad relationship or whatever it is um how do you kind of go about helping women when it comes to your business so in a and it could be just a general yeah <laughs> in a general sense um there's a lot of work in figuring out or getting back in touch with who you are at your core and a lot of that i i tell people like think back to your childhood what are the things that you absolutely loved to do that fed your soul that you couldn't wait to do, whether it's singing karaoke or dancing or curling up with a good book in the sun, you know, like those sorts of things, do more of that, whatever that is. That's the first step. Then it becomes like, okay, let's work on your confidence. How secure are you in yourself physically? mentally, emotionally, like with all aspects of your life. So we work on that security. And then it's like, okay, how do you show up in the world for other people? What are your values? And do you live by those values? Do you like lead by example? And that's kind of like the quick and dirty of how, how to get in touch with your, your intuition. Sure, sure. And I like that you said lead by example. Um, I like that you said confidence because those, those two things bleed into vulnerable leadership, right? Yeah. 
So <laughs> how do you teach uh, people uh, to be vulnerable leaders in their personal lives, in their business, in whatever shape or form? Um, what, first of all, what is to you, what is vulnerable leadership? Um, and why is, it, why is it important? Okay, vulnerable leadership. It's about being your authentic self, not feeling like you have to wear a specific hat all the time. Like now I'm a businesswoman, so I must be X, Y, Z. Like I can't tell you anything about the way I feel. You can't know anything about my personal life. It's like very rigid. Um, so it comes with just sharing. Like we kind of got into this at the beginning where how I believe there's a fine line between work and personal life, right? And as time goes on, the line has blurred a ton to the point where thanks to everyone quarantining, like there's not really much of a distinction. And I think that there is a lot of potential and a lot of intention behind the blurring of that line. Because if you think about it, fundamentally, you do business with the people that you like, the people that you have good relationships with, the people that you feel like you can be yourself with. Because if you're doing business with people that you don't like and you can't be yourself, it's very forced. And at any point you think it might crumble or you're walking on eggshells. I think business is so much stronger and teams are so much stronger when you bring in the personal element of who you are. You can connect with people heart to heart. That's really what it is, connecting with people, building the bonds, that makes your team stronger, that makes your company stronger. And ultimately it's just gonna make the world and the economy stronger. If we're communicating heart to heart, we're being a little bit more honest, being more open with people, it's like not having to hide things. No, it's true, it's true. And it's funny because the way you ex explain vulnerable leadership, I, I like to, in my head, it's, it's, it paints a picture of how it's really important to be able to lead from the front, right? And also lead from the back as well, which is where the vulnerability comes from. Mm. And those two things um, tie into having a, a complete understanding of knowing when to put yourself first, because you're putting yourself first when you're leading, it could be leading from the front or back, depending on, on the, the, the type of leadership. But I think it's a balancing act and trying to be vulnerable, right? While also putting yourself first. Mm -hmm. So how do you learn to kind of balance both? Or more importantly, how do we learn to put ourselves first? Because again, going back to some of the conversations we had earlier, we live in a society where it's not really conducive to putting ourselves first, right? Mm -hmm. You're not really hardwired to put yourself first when you're going to college because more times than not, a lot of kids go to college based on what their parents want. You're not putting yourself first, right? When you graduate and you have kids, your kids take over, you know, their well-being matters more to you than your own well-being, which is fine, but that's not really you putting yourself first. Like I said earlier, we need to start realizing that if you want the best for life for your kids, you need to put yourself first. And that's not really an ideology that people are used to. Mm -hmm. um, and moving away from that, you end up working your whole life. That's not putting yourself first. You don't 
there's no room for um, traveling, right? There's no room for, I'm just gonna take two weeks off and just do nothing and decompress. You know, there's no room for anything that has to do with putting yourself first. So, Kirsty, why is it important to put yourself first? And how do you, um, if a client came to you, how would you kind of go about teaching them to start putting themselves first? Whether it's through affirmations, whether it's through self-care, um, how would you kind of go about doing that? Well. So first question, why is it important? <laughs> why is it important? Okay. Putting yourself first is so important because you're going to be able to offer the world everything that you're able to offer if you're totally in balance. And if you're not in balance, say you're really lacking on sleep, um, you're not going to be as mentally clear and you, you're going to mess up more frequently than you would if, if you got enough sleep or if you're really physically out of shape. And again, that causes you to be tired or it causes you to be in a lot of pain and you can't last, you know, like throughout the day as much as you would expect yourself to, you're not going to show up as your best self. And if you're putting yourself first, like you were talking about, like doing the oil changes in the car, you're going to be able to continue to run at full speed. Like that's what we ultimately want. We want to be the most productive. We want to be the most effective and efficient. So it's like, you have to do the oil changes. I love that analogy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is true. It's true. Um, and then I love that you're, you're into flow. And a lot of people aren't really aware of what being in the flow state is. And it's such a cool thing because when you're, when you become aware of the flow state and you find yourself in it, it's so exciting, right? Mm -hmm. I know for me, it's not something I can just get into whenever I want to. It's, it's like catting, catting. It's like catching. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like catching a lightning in a bottle where I'm just going about my life. And I'm like, holy crap, whatever I'm doing at that point, I'm like, I'm in a flow state. Whether it's eating healthy for like weeks on end, right? That could be a flow state. Whether it's working out consistently without breaking your routine, that could be a flow state. Flow state, the flow state comes in different shapes and forms depending on our lives, right? Right. So what are the benefits in your opinion of being in the flow state? Obviously something that you do, um, how has it worked for you or has like changed your life? How has it impacted you? And for you, like, what would you say are some of the benefits? Mm, okay. So I want to, I guess, draw a little more like clarity around what the flow state is. Yes. It's like a period of performing at your optimal output and really feeling connected to what you're doing. So for me, I used flow state to get through the entire last three years of my corporate life wow. to be able to make it through the day. Um, as soon as I learned about the concept, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and essentially what it is, is honoring what you need, just honoring what your body needs, your emotional state needs. Um, so like very, very simple example. If you, um, you wake up, you wanted to start your day at 8 a.m., but 
you have this thought nagging in the back of your head, like, oh, I got a package yesterday. I want to go down to the mailbox and get that. But I know it's going to be a big distraction. So, oh, whatever, like I'll do it in a couple of hours. When you get to work, it's eight o'clock and you're plugging away. But in the back of your mind, you're like, mm, I wonder what's in my package. Like, I want to go see the mail. I can't wait to check it. And it's just like chipping away at your focus subconsciously. And if you would have just let yourself go get the package, you would have started work maybe 15, 30 minutes later, but you would be so much more focused and energized because you were excited about the package than if you, you wouldn't have gone to check the mail in the first place. So that's like a really simple idea, but you can scale that much larger. So like for me, um, this ties into vulnerable leadership really, really well. My last year at my first corporate job, um, I was leading a team and I started to recognize every day, sometime between like noon and three, I got extremely antsy. And typically in the corporate world, it's frowned upon to leave your desk during the day, right? But I made the decision with my team, hey, I'm going to go for a run every day at 2 p.m. Just have that expectation, like I will be back afterwards, but I need to go do this that I can focus for the rest of the day. Because if I didn't, I knew I'd be like jumping around, I'd be distracted, I'd be angsty and antsy, like when am I gonna get to go home so I can go work out? And by allowing myself that time and space to run, I was able to later achieve my optimal output during the day, but it also empowered my team to be able to do the things that they needed to do to ensure that they were in their flow states. So being vulnerable with your team about your flow state and the things that you need to do, it's going to make your team that much stronger because they know that you're taking the time for yourself. So you'll support them taking the time for themselves as well. Yeah. And it just, oh, it just like reaps all the benefits. Trust me, I definitely agree. So in saying what you just said, for people listening that are interested, how do you get in a flow state? Is this something that, at least for me, um, it's, I feel like it's not something I can easily control. It just happens. And I notice that it usually, usually happens after a period of consistency for me or like perseverance. Like it's always like a wall I'm about to hit. And uh, if I can get past that wall, then I just get into the flow state. That's what I've noticed for me personally. So for you, is it something that you can easily trigger? And if not, or if you can, how do you trigger it? And if not, um, what are the things that you find that kind of help put you in that state? Interesting. So since I've been practicing it for a good amount of time now, I have a really good sense of control like when I can force myself to enter it. Um, but it's not really a forcing, it's more like an invitation. Mm. For me, for me personally, I have to do a million things on my to-do list personally to be comfortable enough to be like, okay, life's taken care of. Now I can work. And it, it, it's changed a lot. So like in college, in order to, you know, write the 10 page paper that was due tomorrow, I would take like a double shot latte and pop in some dubstep and then just start, you know, typing away. So it's a wide range and it really ties back to your intuition. 
and knowing what's right for you and what makes you feel comfortable. When I think about it, that makes sense. Um, and maybe for everybody it's different because it's not something that, first of all, a lot of people are aware of. And um, that's, like I said, it's easy to tap into. You just don't say, all right, I'm gonna be in a flow state today. And, and you are, you know, right. not that simple. But it's definitely a beautiful concept that um, works for the people who are aware of it. And uh, so I'd recommend it to everybody that is interested in experiencing the, the flow state in their lives. How, from your perspective, how do you think people can like find their own flow state? Like I said, intuition, is there anything sure. you have to add? Yeah, for me, it's mostly, I'd say if I had to choose one word that describes it perfectly, I'd definitely say perseverance. So again, for me, it's oh, perseverance and consistency for me. That's what I'd say works for me. And I, that's what I'd recommend. Because again, the flow state is about getting to a, a point in your life where things or whatever you're trying to do, it just seems so effortless. It's easy. It's like cruise control. That's, mm. that's literally what it feels like for me. I don't know if it feels the same way for you. Um, but it's literally like being on a highway at a certain speed and just cruising. Yeah, I uh, see that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I get it to a point where, uh, excuse me, I get into a point where whatever I'm doing, whatever the object, objective is, it feels like I cannot fall off the wagon, for lack of a better term. You know? Um, so, yeah, I'd say, and I always enter it when I'm consistently doing what I'm trying to accomplish. Um, if it's the gym, I'm going every day like I'm supposed to, I don't miss any days. If it's eating healthy, it's staying consistent and not falling off, um, whatever it is, it just, for me, consistency is kind of what activates it. Uh, yeah. That's what I'd say. Yeah, it's definitely different based on each person's personality, but it's definitely achievable. It is, it is, it is. Um, and it's what, it's October, we're going into a new year. Um, 2022, which sounds crazy. Sounds like we're in the future at this point. Um, so do you, have you had a chance to reflect on this year and, uh, or last year? And if you have, what are some of your takeaways um, as far as lessons that you've learned that you feel can be helpful to others in moving into a new year um, and exiting last year and this year? Number one, hands down, put yourself first. Like take care of yourself, honor your body, do whatever you need to be your optimal self and don't compromise it for anybody. Like no matter what, that's what I learned. <laughs> mm -hmm. I know, I like that. I like that. I, I love honor your body. Uh, it's unfortunate that we don't treat ourselves like we're supposed to. And uh, just think of throughout our lifetime, right? Individually, we drive multiple cars. No one person drives one car for their whole life. It just doesn't happen. At least I haven't heard of it. But it's interesting how we treat a brand new car we have. If you bought a brand new car today, you're gonna take care of it as best as you can right, to make sure it keeps running efficiently for as long as possible. That's how our bodies are. That's how we are, but we don't treat ourselves that way. 
you don't get to get injured and get a new leg or a new body. Um, you don't go blind and get a brand new set of eyes. Everything that we have in this lifetime is irreplaceable. That includes our mental health, that includes our physical health, um, that includes um, all the decisions we make. Uh, but again, I really love that you said honor your body um, because it's something that I feel like we can all be doing more. Honoring our bodies, honor, honoring our, um, our mental states of mind, you know, um, honoring the way that we look at life honoring our growth. These are all things that we should be paying attention to. And there's really no, the cool thing about these things is there's really like no end goal, right? There's no point you reach where you say, I've honored my body and <laughs> I've reached the, the top of the mountain. And I don't have to honor my body anymore. Right. You know, it's, it's a journey. It's a life journey. Um, it's something that we need to be consistently doing our entire lifetime. So I love that you brought that up and I definitely implore people to listen to what you just said and go into the new year or you don't have to wait to the new year. It's not one of those things where you need to wait. Yeah, like start right now, start today, start honoring your body today, start honoring your mind, start honoring your goals, your aspirations, your dreams. Um, and I wanna ask you, what are some ways in your opinion that people or your clients, your, your past, your current, your future clients can start honoring their bodies, their wishes, their aspirations, their dreams. What are little steps they can take? Um, I'll jump in and start by saying one of the ways for me is it's just through affirmations. Mm. If you're going through any sort of mental, uh, roadblock, whatever it is, let's just say you have self-image issues, right? One of the ways of starting the, the, the journey of honoring your body would be through words of affirmation. You know, get a bunch of sticky notes, post it all over your room or your bathroom or your house and write down affirmations. I am beautiful. I am worthy. Um, whatever words that connect to you, because the goal isn't to just write just to write. Right. You have to believe it. Mm -hmm. Right. So words of affirmations for me are a powerful way that people can use to kind of start moving in the right path. Mm -hmm. So for you, what are some examples or one or two examples that you'd say um, are useful for people to start moving in that path? I mean, like point blank, just do it. Whatever it is that you want to do that you've been holding yourself back, be it something small or something big, like take a step, do it, do a little bit of research, start talking to people in your network, start like putting feelers out, whatever it is, take any sort of step that feels comfortable for you because it's going to get easier. Um, also, I guess like... If you're in a stage of your life where you're unhappy about something, say it's, it's your physical health, you're unhappy about your physical health because you sit at your desk all day, right? And you think back to a time when you were, you were happy with your physical health. Think about what you were doing then that you're not doing now 
and then add in five minutes of whatever that is every day. If it's a run, like literally go for a run around the block. You barely will break a sweat, but those little steps are going to make tangible changes or like yoga at night. You said yoga, the magic word. I know you do yoga. So can you kind of talk about that a little bit? And uh, first of all, why you do yoga and why it's really important. I think everybody should be doing yoga. I do yoga too, uh, but you're more advanced than I am. So why, do, why is yoga important? And what have you found that yoga helps you with personally? Yoga is my everything. It's the way I get centered. It's the way I meditate. It's the way I express my spirituality, the way I connect to my body. So ultimately yoga is like, I'm not a doctor, right? But yoga in certain forms is a way to counteract diseases that are happening in your body. So for example, Bikram yoga, super challenging. It's very hot, uh, very strict, but there have been studies that show that Bikram yoga can help reverse diabetes. That's phenomenal. Like a doctor is not gonna tell you that, but it's true. And I was hypoglycemic and I started doing hot yoga and, and changing up my diet a little bit and changing my lifestyle a little bit. And I no longer have those crazy sugar crashes. It's, it's very interesting. I don't know. Especially when you hold poses for a long time or you do it in hot yoga. Um, the act of doing yoga puts your body into the flight, the fight or flight. Flight, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that state. And through your breath work, you learn how to overcome it. So you're literally evolving as a human being while you're doing yoga, if it's challenging enough. But it's, I call myself a purist. And it's hard <laughs> being here in Southern California with so much core power everywhere. And everybody's doing these vinyasa flows, which is a fast paced breath to movement flow. And it's the more like culturally hip because people like really intense workouts. But yoga can be, gentle stretching. There's things called yin yoga and hatha yoga, where you hold stretches for an extended period of time, be it three to five breaths, three to five minutes. I've held poses for up to 20 minutes. You've held poses for up to 20 minutes? Yes. You said that so casually, like it's <laughs> <laughs> like everybody does. <laughs> it's a long time. I, yeah. You do yoga, anybody that understands yoga knows that's a long time. That's a long time. And often like floor poses, I'll fall asleep in them just because I'm like so oh. relaxed and meditating. Yeah. So yoga is, there's a whole spectrum of it. It's accessible to literally everybody. Every body can do yeah. yoga. I love it. Yeah. And you, you said something about meditation too, which is very important. When I think about it, I feel like we kind of answered my question earlier. Um, when I said, what are some of the tools thing, uh, people can, can use? We, I talked about affirmation, uh, talked about yoga. That's pretty much another one, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned just do it, which is true. Just, just do it. Like 
at some point in life, you have to realize standing around is not going to get you anywhere. You just have to do it. There's no way around it. Mm-hmm. And the fourth one um, is meditation. Mm-hmm. You mentioned meditation earlier. Meditation is very, very, very important. Um, obviously, you meditate, right? So can you also talk about how if a client, I mean, I'm your client, I came to you and I said, I want to start meditating, but I don't know how. Kirsty, can you teach me how to start meditating or help me um, get into meditation? What would you say? So there's a couple different forms of meditation. There's like mindfulness meditation. There's transcendental meditation. There's like chants and all kinds of stuff. So it really depends on what works best for each individual person. And sometimes that comes with trial and error. But fundamentally, I would have you as my client, I would have you start with a basic mindfulness meditation. So I guess I could, I could walk us through it. If you just sit with both your feet on the ground, straight up, you can put your hands in your lap, by your side, on your legs, whatever's comfortable. And you're going to close your eyes and you're going to breathe in through your nose and out through your nose. And as you continue to breathe, you're going to feel the breath move past your lips in through your nose. And then you're going to feel sensation in your body. That right there is a quick and easy mindfulness meditation that you can do at any point in the day, no matter where you are, what you're doing. If it's a crazy environment, if it's a quiet room, that is the base of mindfulness meditation. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but that was so relaxing. I know that was short, but guys, if you did that at home, that was wherever you are, well, definitely not in your car. <laughs> not in your car. Okay, clarify. Don't do that in your car. There's another... yeah, don't do that wherever you are. <laughs> There's another way to meditate in your car. Yeah, well, unless you're in a Tesla, then you're, I think you're probably safe for a few seconds. Um, Sorry. But no, that's, 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 very true. Meditation goes a long way. What I like to do for me is I would do yoga first um, and then right after go into meditation, which is like, you know, just doing one after the other is, is amazing. Uh, but no, that's, those are, those are really good tips. We, I kind of, we kind of answered the, the question already. Um, so before you, I let you go, I want to ask you, what is your hope for the future? And actually, it's a few questions. One is, one is your, what is your hope for the future? What is the name of your business? And how can people contact you? If they, for current listeners, future listeners, if they wanted to find you or contact you, how can they contact you? So first of all, let's start with what is your hope for the future? I hope for the future. Okay, wait, before I forget, um, back to the meditation thing real quick. Sure, please. If, if anybody listening is interested in mindfulness meditation, there's a book that taught me how to do it. It's called Wherever You Go, There You Are. It's mm. like a green cover, but it's super digestible, short chapters. You read it over a period of 30, 60, 90 days, whatever works for you. And it walks you through mindfulness meditation. Super easy. Thank you for the recommendation. That's beautiful. Okay, so hope for the future. <sighs> I know it's kind of a very... <laughs> 
very, I'm hitting you with all these crazy, tough questions. My hope for the future is that people in my life, in the world, in other people's lives that I don't know, I just hope that everybody finds a path to living a more authentic life. There's gonna be a triple, trickle down effect when people are living more authentically, they're making more aligned decisions with who they really are. They're gonna be happier. They're gonna treat the other people around them better. They're gonna make better consumption decisions, not only for their own body, but also the way they spend their money. And the way you spend your money is literally a vote every day on yeah. how capitalism happens. So like, it's just a trickle down effect if you can live more authentically in any way. I hate to keep saying that's a good answer, but it is. It's so true. It's so true because it sounds so simple, but literally being authentic in this world is one of the most difficult things you can do, mm -hmm. especially when we talk about social media, right? Being authentic, authentic with yourself, right? Being authentic in your relationships, being authentic in your everyday life. Um, Family. It, yeah, it's it's it sounds so simple, but it's so difficult. And um, that's definitely something I always make sure I'm being aware of. Um, because it's one of those things where, like I was saying earlier, there's no point you reach in life and just say, all right, I've lit, reached my max level of authenticity. I don't have to be authentic anymore. It's something that you do every single day with all your interactions. Um, so no, that's, that was a really simple, but such a perfect answer. Thank you. Yeah. So next one was, how can uh, the people find you? Well, the next two were, how, how can people find you? And what is your business called? How can be, so everything is running off of my name right now. Um, I got stuck for a long time in this situation of like, do I build all the fancy like websites and, and membership and app and everything? And it's like, no, I'm just going to focus on my work. Right now, everything is um, word of mouth and referrals. So that's, I want to keep it small, tight-knit people that really want, really know me. They want my services. So, so that's how it's wrapped up. Um, but everything can be accessed through my Instagram, at Kirstie Blue, K-E-R-S-T-I-E, -E, blue like the color. Um, my email is just that, KirstieBlue at gmail.com. Um, and in my email signature and on my Instagram, there's a link to my calendar. So you can get on my calendar, book a session, um, message me directly. It's simple. Kirsty Blue everywhere. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. And for people who don't have Instagram, again, she gave her her email. It's KirstyBlue at gmail.com. Right? Yeah. All right. Perfect. Kirsty. It's been beyond a pleasure. Uh, Likewise. Definitely love to do a lot more of these with you in the future. So you're, you have an open invitation. And uh, thank you again for dropping all those life gems uh, to people listening today. You know, hopefully a few people got, or a lot of people got something out of it. And uh, again, thank you for, for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. Let's continue the conversation. I love it. Yes. In the yes, world. yes, this is just the beginning. Um, thanks for listening, guys. Until next time.